So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. This morning, if you've got your bulletin, we got an outline there. There are no blanks in the outline this morning at all. Zero nada. Because what we're going to talk about is a little bit of manology. Boys or men. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about becoming a real man. Now, right out of the gate, there are a lot of guys who don't like sermons like this. And they say, Jeff, I'm married to Medusa. Why don't you preach about her? That's going to come next week, all right? So if you are married to a proverbial Proverbs woman who the Bible says that it's better to live in a desert or on the corner of a roof than live with her, you need to bring her next week. And the week afterwards, we're going to talk about kids. If you're new with us, what we're doing is walking through the book of Ephesians word by word, verse by verse on Sunday morning. So what I want to do here right off is give you the main idea If you don't have a a worship guide, here it is. And that is simply that men take responsibility and boys make excuses. That means that if you have become, if you've come to a point in your life to where you've allowed God to make you the man that he desires you to be, your life will be characterized by taking responsibility not only for yourself, but for other people as well. But just because a man is 30, 40, 50, even 60 to 80 years old, year old does not mean that biblically he has reached what the Bible calls true manhood. And that will be shown by whether he gives excuses for himself. So let's, what we're going to do is read the text. We're going to start there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And we're going to read all the way through verse 33 so that we don't take the Bible out of context. Verse 22, the Bible says... Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now right here, ladies, it does not say that you have to submit to any random man that tells you what to do. Bible says, wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord. 4, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... And speaking, we're the church, not the building, us. As we submit to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, let me stop here. In this day and age, in this culture, I have turned off most of the women by simply reading that text. And ladies, what we're about to do is explain the type of man that God wants to make your husband, or if you're not married, your future husband, or if you're dating a guy, this is what God desires to make him into. And at the end of this description, you must ask yourself, how could I not follow loving, sacrificial leadership like that? So here it goes. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Now the word here for love is the same word that is used for God loving the world through Christ. It is agape. It is a selfless love. Husbands, love your wives as or in the same manner as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, what did Jesus do when he came? His whole life was characterized by suffering, right? At the end of his life, it was the ultimate amount of suffering. So right here, ladies, the Bible is saying not to follow an abusive style of leadership, but follow a Christ-like, giving, sacrificing type of leadership. Verse 26 so that he might sanctify her. That means to consecrate, to think of her as special. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that, verse 27, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Wow. In the same way, in the same way, guys, husbands should Love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And we could also say, he who does not love his wife does not truly love or respect himself. Verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore, verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
Ladies who are not married, the first thing you ask a guy when he asks you out is, are you saved? Do you follow Christ? The second question is, do you have a job? (laughs) Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Girls, if he's having to get money from his mom to take you out to McDonald's, cut it off. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Once again, let him love his wife as himself, and let the wife also see that she respects her husband. It's an amazing thing in our culture, isn't it? To where boys don't really know what it means to be a man. You got one side that says, well, you don't want to be the male chauvinist pig. So you don't want to do really anything, guys. You don't want to take control of a situation. You don't want to really exert yourself. You don't want to try too hard. Because if people think that you're trying too hard, they think that you're trying to be the jerk that nobody likes. Then you got the crowd over here that says, if you like anything other than watching UFC, than killing animals, cutting them open, eating them, and putting the heads on your wall. Unless you do anything other than drive your car really fast or drive a big car that goes fast, you are a wimp, you're called gay, you're called a wuss, you're called a weakling. So you've got guys in the culture, and they don't have fathers. I'm going to read you some stats in just a minute. It's amazing. So you've got young guys like, like me. You know, we're growing up, and we say, I want to be a man. But we've got this extreme. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be the jerk. And then I don't want to be the guy that everybody picks last on the volleyball team. So what do I do? There's going to be two movements, two areas that we as guys will go for. One is that our lives will be characterized by being angry. Being the guy that's the jerk, that's the punk. That's the bad boy. And the other one would be so passive, it would be difficult to really even call us a man. John Piper says, he encourages us guys not to be like jellyfish. Have you ever seen a jellyfish cutting through the waves? Only unless it's been hooked, right? A jellyfish follows whatever current and pattern the water takes it. But a dolphin will cut through the waves. So what the Bible is encouraging us to be, and this comes from John Piper, and I appreciate his point on this, is that we should, as guys, be able to say, God, I'm willing to stand against the popularity. C.S. Lewis says about male headship in the family. Here's what he says. There must be something unnatural about the rule of wives over their husbands. Because the wives themselves are half ashamed of it, Now, if we could really open up this morning, some of you women who have had to take spiritual leadership in your home, your husband will not come with you to church. He will not pray with you. He will not pray with or for the kids. But you want them to be saved. You want them to follow Christ. You are deep down, you are ashamed of your husband. Because the wives themselves are half ashamed of it and despise their husband over whom they rule. A woman is primarily fighting for her own children and the husband is fighting against the rest of the world. So guys, here's what's going to happen. Just hopefully man to man. I'm going to give you straight up what the Bible says and you're either going to repent and get right with Christ or if you're following Christ today, you'll say, Jesus, would you keep me on the right track or you're going to leave here mad and make excuses about the preacher is trying to make me feel bad. Are you guys okay? And ladies, here's what I need your help with. Y'all are free to listen in on this if you want to. But I need your help that when we make a point from the Bible, don't do this. Look at your husband and go, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. We don't need that. Because out of all of my long 30 years on this world, I have never known a man who's come to me in my office and said, Jeff, bro, I got to confess. My wife has nagged me for 30 years And that nagging has caused me to one day wake up saying, you know what? Jesus is amazing. I'm going to get saved because Jesus is so awesome that he's made you the biggest nag ever in the history of the world. So therefore, nagging brings me to Christ. Doesn't work that way, ladies. Y'all okay? You thought that was funny, didn't you? I thought it was good. Yeah. So so we're going to try to be here this morning and don't, don't do one of these little 
Don't, don't give them a Muay Thai elbow, all right? Know that, ladies? Listen and pray. Amen? If your husband is here or if he is not here, you can get this on podcast. You can get us a copy from our office. It's free. And you can have one of our deacons throw it at him like a Frisbee later on the week. So here's some stats. The USA Today records, compared with daughters from two-parent homes, a girl is about five times more likely to have sex by age 16 if her dad left before she was six, and twice as likely if she stops living with her dad at six years or older. Richard Land says, boys who don't have fathers in the home between the ages of 12 and 22, check this out, are 300 times as likely to get in trouble with the law. This factor trumps race, it trumps ethnicity, it trumps IQ, it trumps income. The best predictor is whether or not their fathers are in the home. And let me add, if their fathers are in the home and actually pray with and for the children. The U.S. Census Bureau records... In 2006, there were 12.9 million single-parent homes in the U.S. The father was absent from 10.4 million of these households. 12.9 million single-parent households, and out of those, men are absent over 10.4 million of those homes. So what that says, guys, is that when the marriage goes south, when it goes, when it dumps, guess who are the ones who jump ship? We do. Focus on the family records. After researching biographies of leading atheists from the past three centuries, Paul Witts, a former atheist and professor at New York University, discovered that practically all of their fathers were either abusive, distant, or absent. Because men, if you are any of those three with your sons, it causes them to doubt the character of God. Because the Bible says that God is a father, and they think, if God is like my dad, I don't want God to exist, even if he does. Focus on the Family also records that in 2003, 68 million of the 94 million men in the United States do not even attend church. Men, here's another one. Focus on the family records. According to statistics, when fathers are the first in their homes to become Christians, there is a 93% probability that their families will follow in getting saved. But if the wife becomes a Christian first, the chance plummets to 17%. And if a child becomes a Christian first, it falls to 3.5%. So men, what we're talking about here, if you're married, your children's eternal future is riding on whether you follow Christ. And if you're here and you say, Jeff, man, I'm not married yet, that is a little newsflash that if you get married, which most of us will someday, and by the way, if y'all didn't know, tomorrow is Singles Awareness Day, also known as Valentine's Day. All right? So, uh, so if you're... By the way, how many of you... Uh, well, not, I don't want to do that. I was about to do something really bad. If you're single today, um, just find somebody and ask them out. Same gender. So, well, they, you can work your game at church. So here's the question. What is a man? And how, guys, do we become a man? We're going to look at several characteristics of guys that you don't want to be like. The first is, and it's there in your worship guide... We can call this guy bad-to-the-bone Bobby or narcissistic Nabal. Now, this idea, um, these are not the same characters necessarily, but I credit to um, church in Seattle, Mars Hill Church, and uh, Mark Driscoll is an amazing man of God, so I appreciate his point on this. We're going to look at these biblical characters. This is the guy with a chip on his shoulder. This is the guy who always has to show that he is the bad-to-the-bone dude. He always has to top everybody. He's the one that if he cuts you off in the car, he will also give you the Hawaiian peace sign. This is a guy that watches too many Steven Stegall 
action. You ever seen those? The 80, any 80s action movies fans in the house? Right? For comedy purposes only. If you watch them and think they're realistic, you need help. It's called reality readjustment. This is the guy that watches all those tough guy movies and thinks that it's real life. So he's a jerk to everybody. In Genesis chapter 4, there's a man named Lamech. And the first four letters of his word, of his name is lame. So he is lame. Lamech said to his wives, Adam and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Ladies, can you already hear some arrogance there? Here's what he says. I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. This is the guy that thinks that manhood equals being rude and belligerent and arrogant. There's a man named Nabal in 1 Samuel. And one of his servants said, Nabal is such a worthless man that no one can even talk to him. Guys, if you always have to be right in every conversation, you may just be this guy. And in fact, guys, don't we all know the insecure guy who always wants to let everybody know that he's not insecure? He always got to be right. Always got to run the father. Always got to be the biggest man in the weight room. And if there's somebody else who's good, he's always got to cut him down. It was said of Alexander the Great that he conquered the whole world, men, but he was not able to conquer himself. So there's bad to the bone bobby. Do you know him? Some of you ladies, you're, you're sitting there nodding very slowly. You may be married to him. We're asking that Christ would save him. Secondly, is insecure Ian, or you could call him Psycho Saul from the book of 1 Samuel. This is a guy who is a total control freak. Have you ever been around a control freak? Everything must be in their control. This is a guy, especially when it, terms, uh, when it comes to church, this is the guy that in the church always has to have everything get his signature of approval. Doesn't matter if he has the qualifications to be a deacon or an elder, but he always has to come through him. This is a guy who is totally trying to control everything. Now, I've had girls ask, we did a series on dating with a youth group in South Carolina, and had a girl ask, she said, Jeff, why are guys so protective? Now, ladies, if you have a man who is not protective, that's probably not good. Protectiveness and possessiveness are two totally separate ideas. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? It also says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man abounds in sin. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, there is no fear in love because perfect fear, perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. Ladies, there could be some of you here today and you are terrified of your husband. Let me just make a statement. Guys, if you intimidate a woman, you are a coward and you are not a man. I don't care how many black belts she has in karate. If you're a man, there is no right, there is no situation, there is no circumstance to where a man has the right to talk down to a woman, to hit a woman, to verbally abuse a woman, to use psychological manipulation against a woman, to give her a look or give her a body movement that says it could be very painful for you if you don't shut up. Guys, if you're doing that today, I'm telling you you're in sin and you must repent and God will judge you for it if you don't. It's a person who's totally insecure and the relationship is built on fear. And ladies, if you're dating a guy and he ever gets abuses with you verbally or physically, run. I'm fairly laid back. But I went to see the uh, Chronicles of Narnia movie when it came out with some guys. And I was coming back here. I probably shouldn't tell this. I'm in the same town, but I don't care. Um, coming down Mary Elizabeth Park Street. And I saw a guy there. And he was, he was standing over this lady. And I was like, you know, maybe something happened. And so I stopped. and said, is everything okay? He said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. You can, you can go on. And I saw a van stop there as well. But as I passed, it kind of clicked. That didn't really look right. So I came back around. And I saw that she was crying on the ground. And the guy sitting over her, you know, like a dominant type of, of standing over someone you would not like to get back up. And I thought, that dude knocked her down. And I rolled down the window. I said, is she okay? And he says, hey, this is my wife. And I said, I don't care. Is she okay? And then they began to walk away. And then he said, this is my wife. And so I just, it was a very unpastoral yell. 
I didn't cuss. I wrote it down and I signed my name to it, but I didn't say it out loud. I was so angry. I, I, I prayed. This is not right. This is, this is catharsis. I said, Lord, please help him not to walk over to this car because one thing that I cannot, I would have I maybe gotten beat down. I don't know, but I can't handle it. Y'all would have either had to bail your preacher out or come see him in the hospital. <laughs> either way. So this is bad, but here's, here's what I did. And we have... I know at least one police officer here today. I couldn't find anybody. I know, you know, and then we call 911 and not be able to find anybody because they're like, okay, you're the preacher, but you're chasing imaginary wife beaters in the park at midnight. That's awkward, you know. And that would be a, that would make for an interesting deacon's elder meeting. So, Jeff, how are your imaginary friends doing, you know? So I actually circled around the street to try to find this guy, but I don't know where he went. I don't know, you know, if he faded into a house or if he's Jason Bourne or what happened. And I told my mom, she started freaking out. Honey, your church, they're going to fire you. And, you know, this and that. I'm like, huh, Mom, you don't understand. This is Franklin County. They like a good brawl. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Say, so, bro, you need to come to my church. My pastor got put in jail for beating a wife beater with a tire iron. Dude, you got to come. But in all seriousness, honestly, he was a big guy and I probably would have lost. But please hear me. I'm glad the little one there in the back, you are into it. You are awesome. There is never, men, there is never, ever, ever a time to where you can justify yourself for, and most of the time, it's verbally or even physically abusing your wife. If you're a member of this church, myself and our leaders will come confront you. We will not jump you. Maybe. We will confront you in your sin. And the third here of the angry type of man is spiritual Sid, or you could also call him legalistic Larry. This is from Matthew chapter 23. What happened is a man came to the temple and... Uh, if you can take your, take your right hand, okay? Everybody got this? I want you to try to twist it up and gnarl it like that. Imagine if it was even more twisted and you couldn't get it undone and you couldn't do actual work. You couldn't support yourself, so you had to beg. Man came in like that. The Pharisee saw Jesus and Jesus healed the man. The man and it says in Matthew chapter, but this is actually in, in the book of Luke as well, Luke chapter 6, verse 11. It says, but they were filled with fury and discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Because he did it on the wrong day of the week. Men, if you're in the church, and you're the type of guy to where everything always has to be exactly as you want it, the preacher can never preach right, the singers can never sing right, every, you always have a complaint, the way the ushers, the deacons stand, you're always complaining, you are a spiritual hypocrite. Because what you do not understand is that all of us are imperfect. Amen? There's not a person here, including myself, that does not have weaknesses, that does not have failings. And a person in the church, they're always getting incensed and, well, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. It's like the guy who came in and his wife said, she's like, and this is a preacher joke, I tell like one every five months. So this is for you who enjoy those, all right? This is your word, this is your encouragement. He came and, and, and she said, what do you want for breakfast? He said, I want one egg boiled and I want one egg scrambled and one egg fried. So she did it. And then she brought it out to him and he began to throw a temper tantrum. He said, you fried the wrong egg. That type of guy. Always complaining, but never examining himself to say, where do I need to get right with God? You do not understand the grace of God. And spiritual says twin brother, he doesn't even go to church at all. His name's Legalistic Larry. This is the type of dad to where nothing can ever satisfy him. Some of you were raised with this dad to where he never told you he loved you. He never affirmed you. It didn't matter how good you did. He might just simply not say anything. And by his not saying anything, it meant that you totally didn't screw up this time. There's no grace, no love. If you're that man, you need to repent today. Mark Driscoll said it's a lot harder to do something than complain about those who are doing something. I read that again, men. It's a lot harder to do something than to complain about those who are doing something. 
Then you got the other guys. These are guys who are always filled with fear. Number one is passive Pete. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3 in the beginning. Who did Satan attack? Did he go for Adam or did he go for Eve? Went for Eve. And then it says that she looked at the fruit and she saw it was good for food and she partook and she gave some to Adam by UPS or FedEx because he wasn't there. Is that what happened? She gave some to her husband Adam who was with her. Wow. So this goes back to the beginning of sin, guys, of us simply sitting back and being passive and not protecting those who God has entrusted to us. And the judgment on Adam is that you're going to have to work really brutally hard just to be able to eat. And wives, the judgment on the women was that you will try to control your husband. But it says that he will rule over you. You know, in many cultures in the world, women have no rights. They have no vote. They have no power. They have no respect. They have no place in society. And that's a direct cause of the curse. But whenever you take a society and the Bible is preached and taught, you see the status of women elevate quickly. Next, you've got a guy called emotionally absent Eli. This is from 1 Samuel. Eli was a priest. He worked a steady job, but his sons were no good. And God actually judged him for not disciplining his sons. Men, if you have children, it is your God-given responsibility to make sure that they are pointed towards God. This is a guy who says, well, I'm going to provide for my family. As long as I put food on the table, I'm doing a good job. That is good that you put food on the table and don't throw it all on your wife. But it is your responsibility, men, to invest in your children emotionally. Because what they need is a father who doesn't simply do for them, but a father who is humble enough to say, I care about you and express that. Different people receive love different ways, right? Some of you, if, I, if somebody bought you a gift, you would be bouncing off the walls. That's your love language. Other people, if you buy them a gift, they're like, unless it's, you know, an iPhone 4, I don't care. Some people, if you give them a word of encouragement, that just means the world. Other people, like my mom, she says, I love to see a man's muscles ripple when he's using a vacuum cleaner, right? That applied strength, ladies. So you say, honey, when you get that mop and your biceps are popping out of your shirt, that just makes me all over. But often, often, we guys think that children and women are like other dudes. So with guys... If you, by the way, if you ever go to a man's Bible study and they're all crying and they're hugging each other and telling each other, that's kind of one where we're like, all right, cool. I'm going to go to the next one, right? We guys, were just not on the average very emotional, but we got to understand the Bible has created women and children uh, differently. And next you've got Cowardly Charlie. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says, and all cowards will have their place in the lake of fire. This is a medical spiritual condition called no backbone-itis. This is a guy that's always afraid. Let me just be very honest. I've been so amazed talking to different pastors in different churches about how many of these guys go to church. It's kind of like, you know, well, this is a guy, he's nice, and he won't hurt anybody, and he's sweet, and he's caring. That means that he'll never confront another man in sin. That means that if it's a leadership position, if it's a group of elders, and they're saying, this is where God wants us to go, they're like, well, we might make these people mad. We might upset this group of people. Well, I know that so-and-so, they don't really like this. That is a group of weak men. Men, God did not cause us, He did not call us to simply live our lives trying not to offend people. Amen? If you're a man here and you are willing to live for Christ, you will offend people no matter what. And but some of you ladies, you, you jump in right here, you're like, oh, but Jeff, he's just like the Bon Jovi song. Oh, misunderstood. You know, nobody understands him. He's got these disabilities and this and that, or he's got these weaknesses. And I'm not saying if there are never occasions for people needing medicine or people needing help or physical problems, but what can happen often, ladies, is you make excuses for a man or a son or a boy who has refused to take responsibility and what that does is empower him to continue to throw it off on other people. You see, boys are the ones who buy toys. Men invest in the gospel. Boys need their mom to wake them up 
to go to church, men set their their own alarm clock. Boys are the ones who complain about their chores. Remember that when we were little, right? How many of you complained about your chores? The Apostle Paul says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. This is the man who can never be satisfied with any job. Always complaining it's the job's fault, not his. Boys promise to follow through and don't. Men give their word and stick by it. Manhood is centered on Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus did? When Jesus came into the world, he took our sin on himself, right? Jesus took my sin and he took responsibility for that and he suffered for that when he didn't have to. So we as men, if we're going to be true men of God, we have to love as Jesus loved. That's what you see there in verse 25. It says, for the husbands to love their wives. You say, Jeff, how do I love her? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave up everything for her. Guys, that means that when you come home, you don't simply every time kick back and ring your bell and make your wife your slave. This scares me to death when I get married. I've had friends tell me, say, what can I expect for marriage? You know what most of them do? They're like, (laughs) that's their first response. But if I, and the single dudes in here, if we're supposed to get married, if we are, it means sacrificing everything for that person even if it calls for it, our lives. It means loving them as Christ loved the church. You say, Jeff, man, I'm single. How can I be be, loyal to my wife I haven't met? Well, exactly. Be loyal to the wife that you haven't met yet by being treating with honor the girls that you do know right now as sisters in Christ, the Bible says. So it's to give up your own right to be happy. You know, I've known some guys when they get married and the finances are so that they can go out and buy their toys and put their families in debt. Men, that is a childish decision. Manhood is the point where you say, you know what? If I have to sit back and crunch up raw macaroni noodles with my teeth, if I have to eat potted meat, that's fine if I never get my bass boat. It's fine if I never buy my brand new Harley. I don't have to have the big Mac Daddy house, but I will provide for my family. I know we're in a time of difficult economics, right? This is not a criticism against men who have worked hard, men who have worked long but have lost their jobs. We know you, and we will try to help you get back into the workforce. We're not speaking of you. What we're speaking of is a man who does not provide for his family but buys things that he neither needs nor affords with money that he doesn't have. Let me just say a word about this when it says there in verse number 25, when Christ gave himself up. If you are married here, and guys, you are seeing another woman, or you are flirting with another woman, or if you have the proverbial spare tire in the back, you're in sin. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, and I'm telling you today, cut it off. Do you know what happens all the time in church? Here's what happens. Men who are there every Sunday are cheating. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't talk about, I don't know any of you particularly, but this is just across the board. We wouldn't call you out from here. We would go to you in love personally. They're cheating on their wives when they're away at work. They will take off their marriage ring, not for the purpose of dexterity if they're working with machines and such, not to get it caught. But they do it so that they can have a better chance at being with women they shouldn't be with in the first place. And by the way, guys, if a woman is willing to date you, to go with you, to sleep with you, and she knows that you're married, what in God's green earth makes you think that she won't cheat on you later? Hello! And you know what I pray for you? I pray that when you leave your wife and you divorce her and your child grows up emotionally scarred, why isn't my dad here? And you see them. Guess what I pray for you? I pray that the woman that you run off with will have uncontrollable armpit hair and her toes will grow very large and you can't treat her B.O. She'll have a mustache like Groucho Marx and she'll be mean like a Nazi. That's my prayer for you. Because the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? Till you realize it's been spray painted by falsehood and lies and seduction. 
Man, it's time to stop being boys. But Jeff, you know what? Hey, look, by the way, if you're divorced here, and this is just like, God, this is tearing me up. We're going to have a word for you in just a moment. When you speak to those guys, you may be separated or whatever. That does not give you the right. Well, I need my needs to be fulfilled. That sounds like a boy crying in the line at Walmart. Mom, I want sugar. You know what you need? Have you ever seen that in McDonald's? We said this a couple months ago. The kid's screaming, I want a Happy Meal. I heard a comedian say, you don't need a Happy Meal. You need a Slappy Meal. Amen? I mean, that's a spoiled child. That's what happens if we don't repent and turn to Christ. Here's what F.F. Bruce says. He says, for the love of Christ is a self-giving love. He gave himself up for his church. And the natural inference is that there should be sacrifice and not even the sacrifice of his life should be withheld, which a husband should not be prepared to make for his wife. It means to consecrate her, to treat her as something special. That means to be the spiritual leader. You say, Jeff, man, I don't know how. Here's what you do. Say, honey, I don't know what I'm doing. This is awkward for me, but can we pray? It can be the shortest prayer in the history of the world, but begin from there. Pray. Pray with her. If you have children, pray with your children. Pray for them. Pray with them. Take a passage of the Bible. Start in the book of John. Begin to read the first chapter. You don't even have to give commentary. Just pray with them. For the love of God, don't do like all the other men who think that it's the pastor's job. I can't do it. There's too many of you. There's not enough time in the week. Only 168 hours. I tried to cut that short by not getting a lot of sleep, but you can only do so much. God wants you to do it. Invest in your son. If you've never done this, man, it'd be a great point to start to say, son, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. But I will start, I don't know what I'm doing, but I will start praying for you. I will start loving you through being the spiritual leader. And right here, people saying, Jeff, you're always talking about man being a spiritual leader. Woman's equal. Women, you are equal in the sight of God. He made man and woman in the image of God. But there are different roles. And if you believe in total, complete equality, that means that if someone is breaking into your home, a burglary, guys, that means that you do it half of the time, and the other half of the time, she does it. If you're going to be consistent. You hear somebody coming in the door with a crowbar, guys, you roll over, honey, I'm pretty tired. You go get them. Men, if you ever do that, to say it's your turn, you are not a man. And by the way, a man who's not prepared to protect his wife, I don't believe truly loves her. And guys, that doesn't mean that you have to go around with twin nine millimeters packed all the time, right? Like something really intense or have guns in every single room of your house totally loaded with the actions modified so that they'll shoot full auto. But be prepared to lay down your life for your wife. Now, let me just say this. If you're married here or if you're dating someone, guys, you're just like, man, she's incredible, she's awesome, you would probably take the bullet for your wife. I believe you would. But you know where sometimes we as guys totally screw up? We've got guns in the South. And by the way, gun control in the South is if you break into my home, I will control you with my gun. All right? That's kind of the way it works. Sorry, Canadians. This is a, this is a, this is a redneck crowd. All right? So... We're, we can protect them, but then it's like we don't lead them spiritually. Care for her emotionally. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs or children with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, here's the way it goes, guys. I don't understand women. Amen? If you ever meet a man and he says, bro, I got women totally figured out. Run. Hold your wallet and run. He is a liar from the pit. No man understands a woman. Women, you've got to be patient with us. We're just plain dumb. All right? You just say amen. That's right. It's just the case. We as guys, were so simple. Like the guy... The way that we guys show affection and love to one another is we make up derogatory nicknames about each other. Now, some of y'all are looking like you've never done that. 
We put each other down. We make fun of each other. We punch each other. We hit each other. We tap each other out. We beat each other at video games. We challenge one another. We talk trash to one another. But it's in good fun. But guys, the ladies are not like that. I've never seen a man make fun of a woman's weight and she'd be okay with that. You know the group of guys that always runs, you always got slim over here? Then you got chunk, and both are making fun of each other. With guys, it's all right, but with women, it does not work, guys. Some of you are like, that's my problem. <laughs> Treat her tenderly. The, pe- the passage says there in verse 29, to cherish her. That means to treat her as valuable. If I could bring in, I was thinking about doing this, but it would probably frighten in front of you. To bring in a thermos like you say, and just drop it on the ground. I can kick that thing. I can hit it with the bat. It's going to be okay. That's dudes. All right? Guys, we get over it. Go back to grade school. If we didn't like another guy, what normally happened? If it continued. Fist on face institute. And after that, the guys we became best what? Best friends. If you ever see this with ladies, there is not usually best friends that follows. Created differently. Men, women need us. And this does not come from me. I'm not married. I would never give you married advice if I was. Because I'm still imperfect. But the Bible says to treat your wife with tenderness. That means that you should listen to her. You're like, dude, but she never shuts up. Maybe if you actually listened to her instead of doing this with the paper, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, maybe she wouldn't feel like she has to continue to talk to get your attention. Maybe. Just an idea. To love her to cherish and to comfort her, to treat her as something valuable. And men, women, if you're not married, most dudes are the same. We stink, we're uncouth, we're unsensitive. If you really knew about women, I'm not sure how many women would actually, if women knew about men, I'm not sure how often they would actually get married, all right? But those of you who are, it is the grace of God that can transform a man's heart from being self-centered, from being rude and uncaring to a man who is able to stand against an intruder and have his life taken or stop the threat, and the same man who is able to be tender and caring with his wife. Men, if I were to ask your wives, are you tender and caring and compassionate with her when she has needs, what would she say? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 that that women are daughters of God. So that means that if we as men mistreat women, then we're actually, please hear me, we are mistreating God's daughters. How many of you men have daughters? If there was a guy who was being a punk, who was hurting your daughter, and he came to you and asked for help with his finances... If he had physically abused her, emotionally abused her, verbally abused her, and he came to you needing a $50 bill for a loan, what would you do? Except probably strap it onto a baseball bat and give it to him that way. Men who have daughters say, don't mess with my daughters. If you have a daughter, you can say amen to that. It is not wrong to protect your daughters. But we as men... If we mistreat women who are the daughters of God, if you are unmarried or if you are married and you treat women as trophies, notches on the belt, conquered territories, then what you're doing is abusing God's daughters and He will not hear our prayers if we ask Him to do it, to give us help to continue that. Get weaned off mom and dad. Be a man who's willing to stand alone and finally embrace the gospel. Guys, this is where it all all really ends. Now up here, if you see this, we've got a Spartan Trojan replica helmet. We've got a real sword and real shield. With this right here, how many of you saw the G.I. Joe's movie? The new one? All right. This is a genuine G.I. Joe fake sword. Looks pretty cool from the back, doesn't it? Yeah? Like a little ninja action going on, all right? If you look at it from back there, it may look somewhat intimidating. But when you get up close... 
you see that you could hit yourself or somebody else, it's not going to do a lot of damage. Guys, if you have not repented of your sin, you have not given your life to Christ, this is all of your manhood. This is all of your money. This is all of your strength. All of your workouts. All of your trophies. All of your degrees. And you're going to go out and try to do battle against Satan, death, the world for your family. You will miserably fail. If you come to this point, you could be any one of these men today. You say, God, I'm giving up what I thought was a tough guy. And I'm giving that to you. And you come and lay everything you have down at the altar of God. We're going to start on this in two weeks, the Warrior series in the last, past, last half of Ephesians 6. This is what God gives you in return. He gives you the sword of the Spirit, something that you can actually do battle with the enemy against. Your children do not have to repeat your mistakes. They don't have to go through the heartache that you went through after rebelling to God and against God. He will give you a shield to protect your family against the attacks of the enemy. He will give you the helmet of salvation. He will give you His strength to become a man. In the world in which this was written, the Hebrews would have fought back. And even the Ephesians, when they were informed of this, when every spring men had to leave their families to defend them. Can you imagine that? Go back a couple over 2,500 years, close to 3,000. And you take a man and he, he comes and he, he, he gets down with his little son. And he doesn't have something this nice. The Hebrews didn't. They may have a farm tool if they were fortunate with an iron head. And he gets down with his son and his son sees his dad getting all strapped up and he says, Dad, where are you going? And the dad tries to explain to the son, Son, there are evil men who are trying to come and hurt you and your mom. You can read about it in the multiple invasions in the Old Testament. But your dad loves you. And your dad is going to do what is necessary so that those evil men do not hurt you and your mother. And I'm going to go away for a while. But while I am, I need you to be here. And son, if I don't return, I want you to know that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to protect you and your mother. The mom's probably standing over there looking that she may be crying. And as that man walks off, he would have fought back to his days as an early child going to the temple, having an animal walk behind and looking up at his father and seeing his father more than likely being very teary-eyed, not knowing what was going to happen. And then once they got to the temple, he saw the expressions of the priests. And they were serious. And, and they took that animal and, and they had to they had to kill the animal and its life's blood drained out. This boy probably looked up at his father and saw his father weeping over his own sin. Saying, that should be me. But I'm looking for one day God to send the ultimate sacrifice. And if that is a small boy, he saw what sin cost. And he looked at the blood draining out. And he saw how serious his dad was about God and about his own sin. And now as this man who was once a little boy is walking the battle with the other men, he knows that he must be the wall for his family. And says, even if I fall in battle, as a great general said, he died with his eyes pointed, that's all he could do, his eyes pointed towards the enemy. And I will not, if I have any breath in me, allow evil to touch my family. Men, you can be married, divorced, or single. But all of us come to one place. And that is to say, God, I'm not going to raise my own sword of manhood, but I'm going to give that, and I'm going to give everything that I am and lay it on the altar of repentance. If you're a man and you've been divorced, God can still use you in the lives of your family. But He's calling every man here with a question. Are you going to take responsibility for your own sin? Or are you going to, like a boy, make an excuse? We're about to have a time of invitation. And what this is, if you're here, man or woman, and you know that Christ has spoken to your heart and you need to be saved, we're giving you a chance to repent of your sin and be truly born again now. Let's bow our heads.
and close our eyes. As our worship team is coming to lead us in this song of invitation, we're just looking, closing our eyes so that we don't get distracted. If you're here and you don't know, you say, Jeff, I, I really don't know where I'd go when I die. And in fact, I have a pretty good idea it wouldn't be in heaven. With the way that I've lived and the things that I've done, even though I've been on a church roll, even though I say I'm a Christian, I, I don't see how there can be very little fruit or evidence. I need to be changed, Jeff. I need today to be the times where I about face and it's out with the old and in with the new. Man, if that's you here today, just place your faith in Jesus right now. It's not the words you say, but just right now. Say, God, I'm committing myself to you. God, would you take me? He will. God, would you take me and would you change me? God, I don't want my kids to do what I've done. I want to make things right with my wife. Even if I'm divorced and she's married another man, I want to let her know that God has changed me and maybe that will help her. Man, it's the time of commitment right now. What we're going to ask you to do, if, if some of you, you've been saved, but you know you need to be baptized in front of other men and women. Not be ashamed. If, if you need to be baptized and you follow Christ, we, we ask you to come. If you need to be saved, trust Christ right now. And when we begin to sing, get up and, and walk down. And, and you, you don't get saved by walking down, but, but doing that, you're saying, you know what, I'm standing up for Jesus. I'm letting Him know that I am His man now. Men, it's time. You've heard the Word. We've been led in worship. We ask you to come. Father, would you give us grace in this time? If there's a person here that is still fighting with you, Father, would you break through and help all of them, every lost man here, every man who's been saved but who's been away from you for years, every woman who's been lost and is still lost, that you would help them to come. In Jesus' name, amen.